0: When we think about, we're going to deal a little bit today about uh, the child in the manger and, and kind of that being predicted. But I get to thinking sometimes about what are the odds that the baby in the manger and the man on the cross was, what are the odds that that man, that one individual in history, was the one that the prophets predicted? What are the odds? Uh, there, there are a lot of times we deal in our life with odds. For instance, um, the odds of you're being injured by a lightning strike on any given day are only one in 250 million, but over the average lifetime, it comes down to one in 9,100. I don't know about you, but that makes me want to not, uh, go out with an umbrella. You know, I mean, I'm afraid that it'll attract, uh, in contrast, The odds that an average citizen of Washington, D.C., okay, if it's one in 9,100, then in your lifetime you'll you'll be uh, struck by lightning. Uh, In contrast, though, the odds that an average citizen of Washington, D.C. will get plugged, stabbed, poisoned, bludgeoned to death in the course of a year are one in 1,681. Sounds like a pretty dangerous place to live. Uh, One in 10 Americans read the Bible every day. One in two eat out somewhere every day. One in two, eat out somewhere every day. One in 20, eat at McDonald's. I find that really interesting. In, if you live in Sweden, if you live in Sweden, 40 of every 100 person persons are senior citizens. 40 out of every 100. Um, if you live in Fiji, it's only one in 50. Um... Here's an amazing one. One in every 24 Americans has a membership in the National Geographic Society. Um, They they, uh, recently um, print uh, nearly 10 million average copies of the National Geographic magazine, Uh, and and I think that's interesting uh, considering uh, our, our digital culture. Now, but let's deal with just a little bit today Are you unconvinced that the baby born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago was anything more than just an ordinary human baby? I kind of want to challenge you a little bit today with the odds of that. A number of years ago, two men by the name of Peter Stoner and Robert Newman wrote a book entitled Science Speaks. The book was based on the science of probability and vouched for by the American Scientific uh, Affiliation. And uh, it set out the odds of any one man in history fulfilling even eight of the 109 or so prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament or about, about the Messiah in the Old Testament, um, set up the odds of any one man in all of history fulfilling even only eight of those 100 and so. And uh, you could add that there are about 270 if you, if you extrapolate it to, to different kinds of ramifications. So this is eight out of... 240, 270 or so, the probability that Jesus of Nazareth could have fulfilled even eight such prophecies would be, um, for you mathematicians, one times 10 to the 17th power. That's a one with 17 zeros. Now, people in here are smarter than me. I don't know what that one is. I don't know what that number is called. That's a lot of zeros. One man fulfilling eight prophecies. We're going to talk about a few of those today. Um, now, what I want us to deal with a little bit is some things that were said in the Old Testament about the Messiah that the gospel writers uh, come back and say, this is talking about Jesus. Let's begin, if we can. Can I, can I hand out a few of us to read? Uh, Steve, can I get you to go to Genesis 3.15? Um, John, I see you over there. Can I get you to go to Galatians 4, 4? All right. I hate to pick on you guys, but you usually don't mind it too bad. Isaiah 7, 14. Who will get that one? Thank you. Great. Isaiah 7, 14. Matthew 1, 18. Thank you, Sally. Um, All right. And then Isaiah 9, verse 6 and 7. We're going to look at this one a little bit next week, too. Stella, you got that one? And Matthew 21, 9. Thanks, Mark. Um, Okay, Micah 5, 2. Thank you, Cindy. And Luke 2. And uh, we're going to begin with about verse 3 in Luke 2. Thank you, Julie. Okay, let's talk about this a little bit. We're going to look at some Old Testament passages that talk about what the Messiah would be like, where he would come from, all those kinds, some details about his life. And, um and uh, we're going to look at then when the gospel writers report them okay now uh, let's let's begin here from the very edge of the Old Testament okay so this would be 1500 BC when Moses elites writes it down but it's carried over from oral tradition that dates way older than that the very first qualification in your Bible okay for the Messiah to be born is in Genesis 3:15. Steve read that Okay. Read the first part of that again. Between your offspring and her. What translation are you reading from? Okay, there is a word used in here. Okay, um, in some translations, the seed of the woman. That's the that's the uh, word that goes in your first blank there. That. The Christ to be born would be the seed of a woman. Now, what's the problem with that word "seed"? I was with uh, I was at lunch with a, with a young friend this week who is going through the process of in vitro fertilization with his wife. And I recognize when he's telling me that story that the seed doesn't come from the woman. The seed comes from the man. Interesting, kind of a kind of a. When we think here of the seed of the woman. Galatians 4.4. 4, who had that one? John? So, the Old Testament says, when the Messiah comes, he will be born of a woman. And Paul tells us in Galatians 4 that when he came, he was born of a woman. A supernatural conception, but born in a very natural way. Okay? The seed of a woman, or born of the woman. Got to catch that. The very first qualification. Okay, fits that one. All right. Let's go to another one. Isaiah 7, 14. Okay, now this one's going to date from about seven hundred or seven hundred and fifty or so BC. Comes from a very respected prophet, actually a courtier. Isaiah was. He was very well known, and his prophecy was very well known to be messianic here. Um, And he talks here about a very unique sign. What's the unique sign? the virgin birth, right? Okay. The virgin Mary had a baby boy. The virgin Mary had a baby boy. Okay. My throat's bad, so I can't sing today, but lots of the songs that you and I hear this time of year talk about this particular um, specificity of, um, of the Christ to be born, the virgin birth. Now, the first ever virgin birth, the only, one of a kind. It was attested to by gospel writers Matthew and Luke. It was um, um, attested to by a mother and a father, both, and certainly the Lord Jesus and um, um God, His Father. One of the best known facts about the Christmas story is kind of this one: a virgin will conceive and bear a son. Uh, in Matthew, in Isaiah seven fourteen, did we read Matthew one eighteen where it talks about it? And by the way, Matthew then later is going to link back to Matthew, to Isaiah 7.14. But right here, Isaiah, uh, Matthew has given us the detail here of this being a virgin birth. The conception was supernatural. He connects the dots for us on that. Uh, Matthew knows the writing of Isaiah. Many, many people know about that writing. Most of, of, of uh, Jewish descent in that day would know about that particular um, prediction here. All right? Now, the Christ is going to descend from, a, this is not in your album, I'm going to give you the little this kind of extra. The Christ would descend, according to scriptures, from a really rare bloodline. Okay? According to Genesis 11, of all the men that had been born uh, to Adam's line, he would be born from the um, um, this, a son of Noah by the name of Shem, S-H-E-M, Shem. You find that in Genesis 11. Of all the sons of Noah, it's not going to be Ham or Japheth, it's going to be Shem. We know it's going to come from that line after the great flood, okay? In Genesis 12, it's going to tell us that the Messiah would be a descendant of, in fact, part of the prediction was uh, in Genesis 12 that Abraham would have uh, uh, children as numerous as sands on the seashore, at that time he was old and, uh, and childless. And one of those predictions was, and all the world will be blessed through your seed. Genesis 12. So uh, Abraham, so it kind of tightens up. Of all of the descendants of Shem, which by the way, that's the word from which we get the word, you ready? Semitic. Semitic comes from the descendants of Shem. Of all those descendants of Shem, God chooses one—a man by the name of Abraham. We will read about him in, in other places, but certainly begins that story a lot in Genesis 12. In Genesis 17, we hear that of the two boys that end up being born to um, to Abraham. What are their names? Isaac and Ishmael. That the the child, the promise, will come from the line of Isaac. Then, um, Isaac has two boys. What are their names? Jacob and Esau. And we know, we learn that the child of promise yet to come will come from the line of Jacob or Israel. Of all of the, I would ask the question again, what were the sons of Jacob? But that would take a while, right? Okay, you know, um, Gad and Asher and Merrill Lynch, Pierce Fenner and Smith, you know, all the, yeah. Um, so, I don't think they are on the list, are they? Okay. Uh, Carls, Bacillus, Nash, and Young, are they in there? No. But there's 12 of them. All right. And of all of those 12, the child of promise will be the lion of the tribe of Judah. It will be one of those 12, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Um, uh, And by the way, he will come from David's line. We've looked at that too. Uh, The Christ here, it's going to tell us was to be the heir of David's throne. Okay, the king is going to come from all of those lines too. And going forward, the Messiah or the Christ would come to be the heir of David's throne. Now, uh, we already read from Isaiah. uh, We didn't. Let's go back to Isaiah 9. Sorry, verse 6 and 7. I'm having trouble tracking today. Who had that one? He will be heir to the throne of his father, David. Now, that's also true of Solomon, right? So what's the difference? This is an eternal throne. That means it lasts forever, right? Do you know that Jesus, that the Messiah still reigns on David's throne? Do you know that he will for eternity? We don't need to look for another one. Okay? Now, uh, let's let's look at I, I find this really intriguing. this comes toward the end of jesus life ministry, life's ministry it, it happens several times but in matthew twenty one verse nine there is a passage where Jesus is being called to on the last week of his earthly life did I hand that one out matthew twenty one nine mark On the triumphal entry, this is Palm Sunday. This is the Sunday before Good Friday when Jesus would go to the cross. What are they shouting at him? What are they calling him? The son of David. Wow. There's the connection. They connected the dots. By the way, I find it intriguing that many of those who connected the dots five days later were shouting crucified. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Many in that same crowd were shouting, crucify him five days later. That should be uh, chilling to you as it is to me. Now, uh, the question here is, could it be proven today, could it be proven today that, um, that someone, that one would come directly from David's line? By the way, there are some who are still looking for that. But could it be proven if one was born? Okay. Could it be proven? And the answer to that question is really no. Why? Well, why is because if you went to uh, Garvin County, to the county seat of Garvin County, to Paul's Valley, Oklahoma, all right, you could if you so desired, and I don't recommend it because it's not really good reading, but you could go there and find that I was born. In Garvin County, to Buzz and Sally, on October October 24th, 1955. You can find that out. It's part of court record. And it's in the courthouse in Garvin County, America, in Paul's Valley, Oklahoma, right? You can't do that in Israel. Why? Because the court records were held in the temple. And the temple was destroyed after Jesus in 72 or 70 or so A.D. If you wanted to prove, if I wanted to claim today that I'm the the rightful heir to the throne of my father, David, nobody could prove that or disprove it. I find that really intriguing. By the way, is there any necessity to do that? Uh Uh-uh. He's already come. He already lives eternally on David's throne. I I, I just find that kind of an interesting little fact here. Um, Now, uh, we, let's hit one more of these, okay? He was to be the heir of David's throne. Micah 5.2, who got that one? This one's really interesting to me. Cindy? Over Israel, the of the world, from okay, now, there's several things about this, but go ahead and put the word Bethlehem in there. Okay, Because the idea is that Christ will be born, and they knew it, and by the way, I have read somewhere that if there were to be one claiming to be Messiah today, he would still need to be born in Bethlehem. I find that kind of intriguing. I read this week that a tramp, kind of a, a homeless person, stopped at a Catholic rectory shortly before Christmas, and told the priest, Father, I've been floating around long enough. Could I join your church and settle down? And the priest replied, Why, yes. But first, let's find out how much you know about the Bible and the Christian faith. He's, gonna, he's got an entrance exam. So with Christmas coming soon, the priest naturally asked, Where was Jesus born? And the tramp replied, In Pittsburgh. The priest shook his head, and the tramp tried again, In Philadelphia. In Philadelphia. Again, the priest shook his head, and not wishing to embarrass the tramp anymore, said slowly, "Jesus was born in Bethlehem." And quickly, the tramp declared, "Oh yeah, I knew it was somewhere in Pennsylvania. Um, <laughs> different Bethlehem, okay? Different Bethlehem. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> not not the same. It, it kind of kind of he was. He thought he was in the right state at least. Now, yes." Now, John, can I pick on you? Can I pick on you? Okay. I was born in Oklahoma. You were born where? I know. Where in Texas? Texas? Wellington, Texas. John was born in Wellington, Texas. My guess is in the courthouse, you can find out that John was born in Wellington, Texas. Now, what county is that? Collingsworth. Collingsworth. Can can I ask you just? I'm going to be. I'm going to ask you a really honest question. I know that you are a Texan by birth and an Oklahoman by the grace of God. I know that. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I couldn't resist. I couldn't resist. It goes the other (laughs) way. I know. But can (laughs) I? Can I ask you a question? And I'll be honest about the same thing. Did you have anything to say about where you wanted to be born? I did not. You know, I didn't either. I didn't either. My dad was born in McAllister. I don't know that he had much say so in that. In fact, when Grandma called the doc to come, he was already. She told the story to me. Your dad was already getting called before the doctor arrived. I mean, you know, <laughs> had him at home, right? Did you have anything to say about where you wanted to be born? Is is it possible that Jesus being born in Bethlehem was a self-fulfilling prophecy? I don't think so. I don't think so. Yet Micah, the prophet Micah, from 750 or so B.C. said, when he comes, he'll come from there. Now, let's go to Luke 2 and somebody read verse 3 down through 7. Where did Joseph and Mary live at the time? Where did they meet? In Nazareth, Galilee in the north. We're talking about in the south, in Judah, right? Bethlehem of Judah. By the way, this is David's town. It's still known as David's town. It's where kind of the family came from. Ephrathah. It's where the town came from. Where the kind of Jesse and the boys all came from, okay? It, by By some kind of interesting coincidence... A census is declared while Mary is expecting this holy child and she and Joseph have to both go and register for the census in, for crying out loud, a backwater town like Bethlehem. And so they've got to make that long, arduous trip by coincidence because Augustus was Caesar and he declared that all the world should be taxed. Coincidence? Is it coincidence that even being, um, you know, nine and a half months pregnant or whatever it was, that they made it all the way to David's town? It's just too many coincidences around, surrounding this deal. Is it something, Did had Mary read, read, had Joseph read the prophet Micah and said, okay, we got to go there? I don't think so. I just don't think so. I think this is more than coincidence at work. We've talked about three different things. We're going to talk about, um, we'll kind of, kind of let it go with that. But um, we've got to deal with here a little bit that the Christ would be born in Bethlehem. And that is actually what happened. By the way, this was, um, uh, even today, Orthodox Jews expect their king when they get one. To be born in Bethlehem. I find that really intriguing. Now, let's look at some responses here. When he was born, did people get it? Were there people around who kind of caught it? Uh, and this is part of the wonder of the Christmas story, and I absolutely love it. I've asked Bob if he would go to, to uh, Matthew 2 and read the first 12 verses of Matthew 2, which is going to tell us about the visit of the Magi. Amen.
1: In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. Saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw a Child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They were opened, then they opened the treasures and presented him with gifts of
0: gold, frankincense, and myrrh And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another reason. You ever heard uh, James Taylor do? They went home by another way? It's a very good little folk song where he says maybe me and you can be wise guys too and go by another way. I didn't. Anyway, it's a great little song. Look it up. Home by another way, I think is the title. It's a Christmas song, James Taylor. Um, now, let's unpack this story a little bit. I'm, I want to ask it in a couple of ways. What was the Magi's response when they found out and when they saw the child? Bow down. Bowed down. So worship, or you can put joy there. They rejoiced with exceeding great joy, the King James says. They were joyful, and they worshiped. Okay, So you can put either one of those or both of those things there. Their response was joy and worship. Now, there's part of this story that's always intrigued me as I've read through it, and Bob did a great job reading through it too. Uh, The Magi arrive where they should arrive at Herod's court. They're checking in. Anytime visiting dignitaries are going to come in the region, they're going to check in with the ruling magistrate and tell them they're there. They arrive, and they say to, um, and this this kind of remarkable uh, entourage shows up in, uh, in Herod's city, and Herod says, what are you guys doing? Why, why are you here? And they say, we've, they tell him, we're looking for the Christ child. Herod calls then for his prophets, his seers, the people who are supposed to know, the experts in the government. And he says to them, where is he supposed to be born? Did they know? You bet they knew. In fact, they quoted Micah in Bethlehem, Judea. And they they quote that whole passage. Everybody was looking for the the Messiah there, to be born there, the Christ to be born there. Um, um, Did they know? You bet they knew. But what was Herod's response accordingly? I thought of several words to put in that blank. Jealousy, fear, paranoia, anxiety. Said that he was uh, disturbed and really everybody in town was disturbed with it. You know, mama ain't happy, nobody's happy kind of deal. All right? Now, I want to look at a couple other little places here. Bob, can I prevail on you to read the next two sections for us too? Go to Luke 2. And I want you to start with verse 25. I'll probably stop you, but I want you to, Luke 2:25. And we're going to read about a couple of elderly people. These are elderly Bible students um, that saw what some others probably missed. They were waiting um, patiently. They'd heard that the Lord was coming in their lifetime. And so they're waiting for him literally in and around the temple precincts. Start at 2:25, Bob. Uh, 220, Luke 225.
1: of
0: all nations a and a to and the glory Okay, let's let's hold on there. He he goes on to prophesy for several verses here. Okay, the, the, the picture is you've got an old man who's hanging around the temple. What's he looking for? He's looking for the Messiah to be born. He's been told by God what that I'm gonna live until I see him. What a great promise. What a great promise. He will live. The Lord has told him, you're going to live, old man, until the Messiah is born. So he's looking, and he's heard things, and he's in the temple, and he spies this little couple from northern Israel. And they've got a little wriggling boy in their arms, and they're dedicating him. And by the way, when the priest says, what will his name be, Joseph speaks up, and by the way, as far as I know, he doesn't tell Mary this until then. When Joseph says, when the the priest says, what will the child's name be, he doesn't say, well, Joe, of course, like me. Mary may have expected that. The child will be known as Jesus. At that word, a really old scruffy man, Steps forward and says. Do you know who this is? He says to the priest, do you know who this is? And then he looks at this little mom, which, by the way, have you ever tried to get a newborn baby away from a mother? And he did. I've got in my mind, I want to see a video of this when I get to heaven. I got in my mind that he takes that baby and he holds him up like this. And he's old and wrinkled. And he's probably got bad breath. <laughs> and he says, you child are the consolation of Israel. And he prophesies pain for his mother. That's His name is Zechariah. What what I notice here is his response is worship. Kind of like the Magi, right? And he's... Uh, and he begins to prophesy. He worships and he prophesies about the child. He recognizes him. Now, there's another person that we got to read about. Bob, can I get you to go back to Luke 2? Stop, start at verse 36. Read 36, 37, 38. Her name is Anna. There is also a prophet, Anna. Anna's response is what? Thanksgiving and praise. Yeah. Here's another elderly woman, a Bible student, who lived in the temple precincts her entire life. If you caught the story, she was a young widow, never remarried. She went to the temple precincts and around there so that they could take care of her. That was kind of uh, the Jewish people's um, um, very good social service program. And they took care of her. But she was looking for the coming of the Christ child. She had this wonderful sense of anticipation. What was the attitude of Simeon and Anna that allowed them to recognize the Christ when they saw him? It, It seemed simple to me. It was anticipation. They were looking for him. And I guess I gotta ask us a question this time of the year. Are we looking for him in the way that we should? Now, I want to give you several little applications here to think about as we close out today. All right? We talked, we've talked this morning about predictive prophecies. And by the way, next week I'm gonna I'm gonna dig into a little bit of that Isaiah 9 piece, and then we'll we'll also spend the rest of our time in Luke 2. Um uh, but I kind of want us to deal with, what is the significance of the predictive prophecies? We've looked at three or four. We could add to that five or six or, or, or at least eight, and we get to this number. All these different things that were said about who the Messiah would be and the fact that it, it is, they all came true in the Lord Jesus What's the significance, though, of these predictive prophecies regarding the Christ? I want to say three or four things about that. First of all, they demonstrate a divine intellect guiding what's behind the Old and New Testaments. They're wonderfully cohesive. You know? What is talked about by the, by the evangelists in, in the New Testament has been predicted hundreds, sometimes thousands of years Before it took place, there's a wonderful, there's a divine intellect guiding all this. Second, I believe that these these fulfilled prophecies establish the fact of God, or you could argue the truth of God. The truth of God. They authenticate the deity of Jesus as the Son. Of God. They authenticate Him as the Son of God. And they demonstrate the inspiration of the Bible. They are one of the responses to those who would tell you, even in this day, well, the Bible is filled with only the words of men. Just doesn't really work out that way, does it? Now, I find it intriguing that Jesus was born in a manger and dies on a cross, and yet all these wonderful kingly things are said about him. Someone once said, Would it have been fitting that the man who was to die naked on the cross should be robed in purple at his birth? Would it not have been inappropriate that the Redeemer, who is to be buried in a borrowed tomb, should be born anywhere but in the humblest shed? and housed anywhere but in the most ignoble manner. The manger and the cross standing at the two extremities of the Savior's life seem most fit and congruous, the one to the other. So I've got to ask you, what do you believe? The Bible says in John 1 that what you believe makes all the difference. It says that he came unto his own, and his own didn't receive him. But as many as believed in him, to them he gave the right to become the sons and daughters of God. Now, would you go with me to Hebrews 11, verse 6. We're going to get there in just a minute. I I want to kind of, in, in the closing couple of minutes here, I want us to kind of deal a little bit with this idea of belief. Does what you believe matter? What you do with that belief, does it matter? Somebody got Hebrews 11:6? It was in that great faith chapter. What I believe matters. Anyone who wants to come to Him must believe that He exists. I don't want to miss that. There's a story that's become legend in a small southern Minnesota town. Can't vouch for its truth, only that people tell it as though it really happened. It seems that a man who was retiring from his position as mayor was to be honored at a midwinter party as he left office. He had served for more than a decade, during which he had been responsible for a number of significant improvements to the downtown area, and so it seemed good to have have the community pay a tribute to him. The party was held at the VFW Hall, west of town, and all agreed it was a great celebration. The music was loud and the room was crowded and noisy. The finger food was unusual in its quality and liquid refreshment was available without restraint until late until the evening. Conversation the next morning over coffee in the Main Street Diner was about what a wonderful event it had been, a fitting tribute. Someone wondered if the mayor had enjoyed it, but no one knew. No one in the diner had talked to him or they discovered had even seen him there. After asking around, they learned that the mayor had checked into a hospital the previous day and had missed the party in his honor. And it seems nobody had noticed. <laughs> Does this at all sound familiar to you? The parallel to our modern celebration of Christmas is all too obvious. People come together and the food is great and the music warms the heart, but has anyone seen the guest of honor? The season has become about us, our menu, our travel plans, our expenses. We've lost perspective. The themes of Christmas are often forgotten. Perhaps we might notice the Christ more truly among us if our prayers were not only for peace and travel, but also for peace on earth. A church set out its nativity scene the other day. Life-size figures of all, of all the familiar characters are set in place, kneeling around the manger, all but one. Seems the baby Jesus is missing. We couldn't find him this year. Mary, Joseph, and the wise men are gazing reverently at just a pile of straw. Kind of a sign of times, isn't it? How would you feel if they threw a birthday in your honor and no one talked to you? How would you feel? if the whole town showed up to celebrate your birthday and never really spoke to you. No no one really spoke to you. I, I sometimes feel like that's what we're up against in our world. And I invite you with me to make sure that this child of prophecy, the unique one, the one who is in a class all by himself. I encourage you with me to make sure that your Christmas celebrations, if you haven't started yet, start now, are all about the baby and the manger. Be in Luke 2 next week. Deal with a little bit more. And we'll have a party then where we will talk about him. Okay? Have a great week.